So when I say non-governmental organization or NGO, I mean not-for-profit. We all know, or we should know, or we should have noticed, that the expansion of not-for-profits and the expansion of the funded voluntary sector in general is the rise of what a friend of mine calls the shadow state. The shadow state. It's a good phrase, huh? That's Jennifer Walsh. The shadow state. Like, think about shadow government. And the shadow state goes hand in hand with the demise of the welfare part of the welfare warfare state, which is to say the rise of neoliberalism. And remember, neoliberalism is not new nice guys. It's new mean guys. It's the rise of the post-welfare militarist state at home and abroad. So what's happened is this shadow formation, this shadow state, this you know, amazing complex of non-governmental organizations, of NGOs, has risen right, in the shadow of the state over the last 20 or so years. And to some degree, this shadow state has taken on doing a lot of the work the state used to do. Educating, taking care of people, social services, you name it, right? Things that used to be part of what the state was supposed to do with our social wage, which is what taxes are, right? That's part of our wages that goes there instead of here. So there are two extremes then in this shadow formation. On the one hand, we can imagine that every state-approved NGO is actually only ever a part of the state that makes war, punishment, and resource extraction and market expansion its central work. And this state, this neoliberal state that we're talking about, so I'm talking about the federal government, I'm talking about the state of California, I'm talking about the government of the county of Santa Barbara, the government of the city of Goleta, I'm talking about the state at all levels. That the state does this work, this work of war and punishment, and resource extraction and market expansion under the cover or behind a rhetorical veil of individual responsibility, of executive privilege, and of public-private partnerships, right? So this is where we see it all coming together. But there's another pole, at least. It's not an extreme as in 180 degrees separated from the first one, but there is another pole, and that is this one. Given that there's no such thing as an untainted dollar, and not all NGOs simply do the work of internal pacification that the state isn't doing anymore, then why not just take the money and run? Well, whatever our characteristics, whatever our interests, our purpose, I think, is to build a social movement. That means that we must, of course, build organizations. Because, as Miles Horton and Paulo Freire and a lot of other people have said over the years, a social movement has its basis in organizations. It has its basis in organizations that have some dynamic, grassroots, forward momentum that connects with the forward momentum of other dynamic organizations. And that's where movement comes from, right? So movement doesn't come from somebody laying out the blueprint and everybody playing his or her role, nor does movement come from a kind of random association of organizations at the ground. There's some kind of synergy, there's some kind of genuine forward movement. In the long middle of the 20th century here in the United States, there were all kinds of 
state-approved, non-governmental organizations that were doing all kinds of work that wasn't necessarily the work of internal pacification. And I said not necessarily, I want to qualify it because we could debate at the end of the day how things turned out. Those organizations include such things as unions, churches, established and not so established and anti-establishment churches, political parties, and I don't mean the Democrats and the Republicans, but the Communist Party, Socialist parties, all kinds of political parties around the United States, and other kinds of formations that came together in order to promote some kind of social good, right? So clubs, schools, even media like publications, you know, publishers and, and radio. So then these groups, these formations, these organizations were unified by purpose. These kinds of organizations unified by purpose all had paid and or unpaid staff, right? Including unions, I will add. They had a bottom-up resource base and they had a mission and the mission is a partial statement of the larger purpose. Right? The mission isn't the purpose, and I think that's one of the things a lot of people have forgotten these days. People think that the mission of their organization is the purpose of the movement, rather than the mission of the organization should be a partial statement of the purpose for which the organization came into being in the first place, and the purpose might mean that the organization's usefulness is eclipsed. So I'm going to give some examples. All right, one, 1949, Pacifica Radio. They came together. They said, can't we take broadcast out of the market in order to get different sorts of views, heard, circulated, debated, and so forth. So they started this network, right, that was based in subscription. And not NPR kind of subscription, real subscription, right? They started a radio station that's never had a single advertisement on it, ever, from 1949 till 2004. So that's one example of ground up. Another example from the long 20th century is the Montgomery bus boycott. The Montgomery bus boycott started December 1st, 1955, when famously Rosa Parks didn't move her seat. Wasn't a spontaneous event, and everyone in this room knows that, right? It wasn't spontaneous, she wasn't just saying, oh, I'm tired, right? <laughs> Although I do not doubt that she was tired. So, how did a group of people concentrated in, but not exclusively organizing in, the city of Montgomery in Alabama manage to assault and scale apartheid's wall as they did? In the case of that particular action, which had a short-term, a medium-term, and a long-term vision, not only was it not Rosa Parks saying, I'm not going to move tonight, you know, spontaneously deciding to start a movement, but of people who had been engaged in the long 20th century anti-apartheid movement in the United States who came up with another plan to do the work. So purpose, smash apartheid. Organizations included the Dexter Avenue Baptist Church, the Women's Political Council, if that doesn't sound nice and reformist, what does, and the Montgomery Improvement Association. So three different kinds of formations, all again with resources derived from the bottom up, right? The Women's Political Council was actually started by a professor, I think, named Joanne Robinson. Uh, the Montgomery Improvement Association came into being 
instantly the bus boycott started in order to coordinate carpools, right? Its mission was to coordinate carpools so people could continue to work in order to achieve the purpose, which was to smash apartheid in the United States. Right? So we have an alliance of organizations, right? an overlap of organizations, organizations like the Dexter Avenue Baptist Church that had no intention of going away, and other organizations that did their work in the short and the medium term toward the end of achieving the long-term purpose. And the third example I have this evening is the UFW, the United Farm Workers. And the United Farm Workers, as you know, came into being first as agri agricultural workers of California in the late 1950s. And what the agricultural workers of California were doing was trying to revive the most radical agricultural activism the United States had ever known, and that was the activism of the 1930s that shut down harvests in California's Central Valley in 1933, and again almost did it in 1938 in the cotton fields, right? So there's a historical memory there. So AWOC comes into being, UFW uh, emerges out of that in alliance with other organizations and quasi-organizations. And the, the work then in the 1960s for the UFW was not to just go around, of course, and say we had the glory days in the 1930s because an entire generation and a half had passed. The Bracero, moment, move, uh, Bracero program had cut into the radical organizing of farm workers in this state and around the United States. Farm workers throughout the United States were forbidden by law from organizing, right? And in that context, Dolores Huerta and Cesar Chavez and others went out and asked people who were making hardly anything at all, maybe a couple of bucks a day, to pay 50 cents a week in dues. Dolores Huerta went out, went to farm worker, farm worker, farm worker, and asked for this money and kept being told, no, we can't afford it. And she and Chavez had an infamous debate about this. And Chavez said, the only way we can do this, the only way we can be the organization that will achieve the purpose that we have envisioned for ourselves, to make the movement happen, to organize farm workers here in California and throughout the United States, organize farm workers regardless of citizenship, organize people who work in the fields, is if they know they own the organization. And when I say own, I mean control. Ownership in which you cannot sell your share. You can only exercise the capacity having a share gives you. So those are three examples. Even the Sierra Club. Why is the right gone after the Sierra Club? Why is this an object of struggle? They don't have gone after the Sierra Club to destroy it. They've gone after it to take it over because it's such an effective, again, organization that gets its resource from the base. And I bring up the Sierra Club because there are two other points that I'd like to make before I quickly sit down. Um, one is to beware of the politics of purity. I think that many of us, certainly I, am looking for an organizational structure and a resource capability that will somehow be impervious to corruption. 
I'm looking for something that's so different that somehow the other side won't figure it out. It's impossible. It's absolutely impossible to think up a model that the other side doesn't already or wouldn't already use. And I'll give you an example of that. Imagine this. Imagine neighborhoods in which women come to have a political understanding of themselves and their households in the world. And they go to their neighbors and they say, hey, read this. It changed my life. I'll babysit for you while you read it. And then we can talk about it later while the kids are playing in the yard. Sounds great, huh? And the works, the written works circulate, and people babysit for each other's kids and form these amazingly cooperative organizations which don't have anybody paid at all. And because of what they have learned about themselves in the world and what they perceive to be their purpose in the world, they um, uh, do things like run for school board. All right? This is the origin of the backbone of the new right of neoliberalism here in California, right? The suburban warriors who put, who tried to put Goldwater in the White House, who put Ronald Reagan in the governor's mansion, who put Richard Nixon in the White House, and put Ronald Reagan in the White House. So there isn't sort of a pure form that we can find. But this takes us back to thinking again about why not take the money and run, right? Um, and other people are going to talk about how it is that funders make that very difficult. That funders do so much work of doing movement shaping and leader development, leadership development, that they make what our work is into something else so that they can continue to pursue an interest that is not the same as our purpose, right? So, what is a foundation? A foundation is stored wealth. A foundation's funds are stolen value created by working people around the world in factories, mines, and fields. That's what foundations are. And most foundation money goes to universities where it's held in trust for the very thieves who stole it in the first place, right? Right? The children of the, of the elite and so forth. This brings us back one last time to why are we here. I like to think because I must think we're not content with tweaking Armageddon. If not, then social movement has to be about acquiring power, which can be made. We have to acquire power and we can make that, right? Not just fight the power, we have to get the power. See, I'm here, if you want to remember one thing I said tonight, remember this. Power is good. We need it. Okay? That's the take-home message. We want it, we need it, we will have it. And what is it? It is capacity. It is capacity to act with initiative and impunity, with autonomy, which is to say, make revolution or turn things over. Right? Power then, in this case, is political. It's not that capacity building that foundations say we'll give you $5,000 for. That's technique. I'm talking about politics. Therefore, not every organization needs to last, right? Not every organization needs to last. Rather, the direction and the momentum of the movement, including collective best practices, including historical memory, that's what must last. That's, in fact, what must come first. 
because it's the sum of organizations, not the sustainability of an individual organization about the ways they can that makes do good. They think of donating to or volunteering for a nonprofit. But as you may have realized over the course of this video, most ordinary people don't really know much about nonprofits, what they are, how they work, that IKEA is a nonprofit, that Richard Spencer is president of a Nazi nonprofit, which as of 2016 was raking in over $300,000 in revenue. But let's shift gears for a minute before we end this part of the series, The Problem with Nonprofits. The majority of nonprofits in the US are centered around healthcare, human services, and education, not Nazism. If we look at this map, we can see most of the largest nonprofits by state are healthcare related Kaiser, Dignity Health, Sanford Health, Wyoming Medical Center, Shriners Hospitals for Children. And so it's safe to say at this point that the majority of nonprofits really are in basic, simple terms. Good, right? Well, join us next time for part two, Nonprofit Hospitals. Follows to the SBLC. How much do their workers get paid? How much do their CEOs get paid? I wonder if there are any YouTube videos explaining how nonprofits work. Part one, the nonprofit industrial complex. Um, what is an industrial complex? Good question, John. It all goes back to 1961 when Republican President Dwight Eisenhower used the term military-industrial complex in a farewell address to the American people. We must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. After Eisenhower coined the term industrial complex in 1961, it didn't get used a whole lot outside of a handful of academic publications until Angela Davis adopted it to introduce the concept of the prison industrial complex in 1996, which eventually inspired Michelle Alexander's book The New Jim Crow, which inspired Ava DuVernay's now extremely well-known documentary titled 13th. Anyway, super quick review. The two most well-known industrial complex concepts have been Military Industrial Complex, 1961, Prison Industrial Complex, 1996. And to answer your general question about what an industrial complex is, John, it's when one for-profit industry successfully develops an interlocking, interdependent system of institutions that serve to maintain profits for that industry. Everyone involved needs for that industry to keep growing profits indefinitely because they all now depend on those profits for their own institutions to survive. With the military industrial complex, it starts with weapons companies needing to make and sell more weapons every year to maximize profit, which results in interlocking relationships between the military, Department of Defense, construction companies, steel manufacturers, engineering firms, political lobbying consultants, you get the idea. Same with the prison industrial complex, but instead of selling weapons, it's about building prisons, keeping those prisons full, making sure there's always a highly criminalized population to put into those prisons, and contracting out to corporations who compete for access to prisoners as a cheap source of labor. So on the concept of the nonprofit industrial complex, at first it probably seems nonsensical. Because if an industrial complex is defined primarily by a for-profit industry's endless need for more profit to the point that it's going to establish a system of interdependency across tons of other institutions to maintain its ability to keep making more profit, how the hell could nonprofits ever fit into such a thing? Whoa, I never thought of it like that. Then again, I'd never heard of the nonprofit industrial complex until now. Where did the term come from? 
Depends. What does it mean? Down the rabbit hole we go, John. In 2004, a collection of essays were published in an anthology called The Revolution Will Not Be Funded Beyond the Nonprofit Industrial Complex by a group called Insight, Women of Color Against Violence. By the way, from here forward, I'm going to call the Nonprofit Industrial Complex the NPIC to save a little time. Anyway, Insight defined the NPIC as a system of relationships between the state or local and federal governments, the owning classes, foundations, and social service and social justice focused nonprofit organizations. This system of relationships results in the surveillance, control, derailment, and everyday management of political movements. They go on to say that the state uses nonprofits to monitor and control social justice movements, divert public monies into private hands through foundations, manage and control dissent in order to make the world safe for capitalism redirect activist energies into career-based modes of organizing instead of mass-based organizing capable of actually transforming society, allow corporations to mask their exploitative and colonial work practices through philanthropic work, encourage social movements to model themselves after capitalist structures rather than to challenge them. Yeah, so that's pretty over my head. No offense. Oh, dude, no offense taken. I mean, I have a fucking master's degree, and I read all the time, and I still think Insight's book is needlessly dense and inaccessible. It's part of an old habit of academic leftists who ironically write about shit like revolution and the working class, and they make literally zero fucking effort to translate their best ideas into something that ordinary, everyday, actual working class people would understand and then potentially apply to their own personal lives. But here's why I think the concept of the NPIC is so goddamn relevant to you and me and everybody else today. Something I mentioned in a video called A History of Nonprofit Corporatization a while back was that as of 2015, the nonprofit sector had become 10% of the American workforce. Right now, the nonprofit sector is the third largest employment sector in the United States. So the thing is, if Insight was right about any of the things they were saying, then we might want to keep an eye out on this massive and rapidly growing sector of employment we call the nonprofit sector. Here's something to think about. I myself am a nonprofit worker, and have been for about five years. This means my livelihood depends on work I do for a nonprofit. And as of the time of this video, I'm making about 28 bucks an hour for what I do. That's a pretty decent fucking wage, right? But think about this. If I perform labor for a wage at a nonprofit, if nonprofits don't make any profit, how do I get paid? Pop quiz! What do all of the following have in common? IKEA, Direct Relief, Feed the Children, Harvard University, National Policy Institute, the Sustainable Economies Law Center, Kaiser Hospital, Duke University, Best Friends Animal Society, Greenpeace, Smithsonian Institute, Blue Cross Insurance Company, Broad Museum, Food and Water Watch, PragerU, Chan Zuckerberg Foundation, the NFL, the Heritage Foundation, Feeding America, Salvation Army, the NRA. Um, nonprofits? IKEA, the NFL, Blue Cross Insurance Company, and the NRA are all nonprofits. Well, okay, the NFL is no longer considered a nonprofit as of 2015, but the point I'm making still stands. Nonprofits aren't what you think they are. I really poorly explained this in a video called What the Fuck is a Nonprofit a long time ago, but I've become a bit better at making videos since, so let's revisit the concept before going any further. All a nonprofit actually is, is an organization that the IRS allows to not pay federal income taxes because it determines that the organization provides some kind of public benefit. If you and your friends wanted to start a nonprofit, 
All you'd have to do is form a little group, which you now call a board, develop something called bylaws, then write up a little group purpose called a mission. Let's go down this rabbit hole even further, but with a specific example. You and your friends start a new nonprofit called the Cultural Education Institute. You call yourself the president and director. Your mission? To conduct research and nonpartisan analysis and education on public issues, including social, cultural, and governance issues affecting the United States and other nations in the world. Your friends take on the roles of co-director, treasurer, and secretary. Next, you guys put some forms together, send them to the IRS, and after a few weeks, you get a letter saying that you've been incorporated as a 501c3 nonprofit organization. Now, you guys open a bank account so you can start receiving donations in service of advancing your mission. Over time, you apply for a few grants, you do some outreach, you nurture some relationships you've developed with a couple of wealthier people who believe in what you're doing, and by the end of the year, you achieve the following. You organize two conferences in Washington, D.C. on international social and cultural issues, which cost you $65,000. You publish two books analyzing historical and educational issues, costing you $23,000. You maintain a website containing original writing on social, cultural, and scientific matters, which costs you $25,000. You were able to pay for over $100,000 worth of educational programming, mostly through grants. Your hard work paid off. Wait, 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 wait. Bam! Oh, shit. I don't mean to, bam, I don't mean to change the subject or anything, but boom, it's just, hold on, just real quick, <laughs> Kablamo! What the fuck? What does this have to do with nonprofits? So the guy getting punched over and over in this image, his name is Richard Spencer. He's a Nazi. Hail Trump! Hail our people! Hail victory! He's the president of a non-profit called the National Policy Institute. They have a board, some bylaws, a mission. They have a president, co-director, treasurer, secretary. They conduct research and non-partisan analysis. And, and according to their public tax records from 2015, they organized two conferences in Washington, D.C. on international, social, and cultural issues. Published two books analyzing historical and educational issues. What the fuck? Yeah, that's all from 2015 documents. In 2016, Spencer's Nazi nonprofit brought in over $300,000 in revenue. And I'd go on to tell you more based on their 2017, 18, and 19 tax forms, but I can't find them anywhere online for some reason. Now, okay, to be fair, the vast majority of nonprofit presidents aren't Nazis, at least I'm pretty sure, and most nonprofits aren't explicitly pushing a white supremacist agenda. But isn't it weird how you can donate 20 bucks to a nonprofit like the Southern Poverty Law Center to fight white supremacy while at the same exact time white supremacist nonprofits are well first of all they exist and second they're securing donations from other white supremacists Yeah that kind of makes me feel sick Most people think about nonprofits generically as organizations which do something good when people think about the ways they can do good. They think of donating to or volunteering for a nonprofit. But as you may have realized over the course of this video, most ordinary people don't really know much about nonprofits. What they are, how they work, that IKEA is a nonprofit, that Richard Spencer is president of a Nazi nonprofit, which as of 2016 was raking in over $300,000 in revenue. But let's shift gears for a minute before we end this part of the series, The Problem with Nonprofits. The majority of nonprofits in the U.S. are centered around healthcare, human services, and education, not Nazism. If we look at this map, we can see most of the largest nonprofits by state are healthcare related. 
Kaiser, Dignity Health, Sanford Health, Wyoming Medical Center, Shriners Hospitals for Children. And so it's safe to say at this point that the majority of nonprofits really are, in basic, simple terms, good. Right? Well... Join us next time for part two, Nonprofit Hospitals. Ashley Altman, Dylan Yee, Fiona, Jamie Smith, Labor Kyle, Pablo Ruiz, Space Commune, Ulrich Volker Anderson, Ace, Esmel Fede, Sebastian Nitu, Sean Best, Super Arjuna Butt, Waltz and Kia. Oh, fuck, did I forget somebody? We know we got over by the blood, the sweat, and the tears of sheroes and heroes, some whose names we know and some whose names we do not know. But I will tell you something, we have been here before. Now, the only difference is we got some company, Rev. We got our gay lesbian sisters and brothers with us this time. We got our Hispanic, Asian, Native American sisters and brothers with us this time. I think Dr. Reverend Martin Luther King said we may not have gotten here on the same ship, but we are in the same boat right now. In Father Teresa's Wine Cellar, we believe all oppression is intersectional. And this means our analysis of current events frequently includes discussion of difficult and explicit content. Any combination of the following topics could be included in our show. Murder, rape, war, climate change, racism, sexism, violence, sexual (laughs) violence, homophobic violence, heterocentrism, discrimination and abuse against individuals of nonconformist sexuality, domestic violence, child abuse, child rape, child neglect, elderly abuse, verbal abuse, police brutality, microaggressions, ableism, cyberbullying, genital mutilation, ideological extremism, and people just being total fucking assholes. Going on Facebook's live. We are coming in <clears throat> and Blog Talk Radio. All right, let me check and see. Is that a uh, Doctor Springler on the line? Yes, I'm here. All right, there we are. Let me go ahead and bring it down. All right, and we have a uh, Phoenix Kaliter is um, also over here. Phoenix Kaliter has some um some understanding of nonprofits and other such things. <laughs> and um and right. and it looks like uh somebody has already uh called in but they did not raise a hand up to uh to say they want to speak yet, but we see you on the uh on the board nine eight zero and this is uh Talk Fury with WineCellarMedia.com. and this one uh Dr. Springler thought of I think just toward the end of the episode last week for the uh, nonprofit industrial complex, um, for me, in between these shifts, I tried to crash course myself and what what little bit of time I had yesterday evening and this morning and early this afternoon. But Dr. Springler is here. 
uh, Phoenix Kalita is here. And anybody that would like to call in at 347-857-3937. 30 minutes before the program started, I did play some audio of some folks talking about this. Dr. Springler, I played the audio of a video that you sent me from an individual from YouTube. And I also played uh, some audio. Let me take a look and see this person's name again. Oop, that's not it there. Jeepers, creepers, and chimney sweepers. <laughs> Make sure I get the right name on this person. Because they were talking about the um, that book, the uh, what revolution will not be funded. That was their uh, that was their topic. Right. Take a look here. Ru- so when I say no- Ruthie Gilmore was the individual. So, yeah, we have Ruthie Gilmore audio at the uh, first 30 minutes of the program for the folks that tune in for the archive after this is uh, posted. And so, Dr. Springler, I'll pass the microphone to you to open up the topic. All right. Well, thank you for having me on again. And I am happy to be talking about this subject today because it's uh, it's one of many elephants in elephants in the room i think for activism uh in the west so um you know there's a lot of critique of nonprofits out there in the nonprofit industrial complex i think there's a lot of confusion around what that fancy term actually means and um you know it's ironic a lot of the people criticizing it are also in the nonprofit industrial complex as workers but um you know it's not unlike workers working for profit companies and corporations um, having to get by for a living, but realizing that their, um, the monstrosity they're working in it doesn't actually serve the interests of them or their people. So, um, I, yeah, I think it's a great topic to get started on. Um, maybe we can uh, maybe define this first, because I know, Lillian, we've talked before about um, kind of doing 101 uh, education or discussion on some of these topics for people who are kind of new to these subjects so it's not kind of the same old language being hashed around to uh, people who are already kind of down with certain lingo you know so uh, maybe we can start with um, yeah identifying what exactly the nonprofit industrial complex is um, and I mean I can I can dig into that real quick and uh, Phoenix it's nice to hear you on the show if you have anything to get started with too Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, actually, normally I'm doing swap stuff on uh, Sundays, but uh, the schedule shifted a little bit, so I have some time. So it's like, oh, I finally get to be part of the podcast again. Woo-hoo. Yeah. Yeah, so, um, you know, when it comes to the, you know, nonprofits, I, I think, you know, those, I think I, I did send you a video, William, because I just found out about that, that uh, YouTuber who's doing this series on nonprofits that is a, uh, Real interesting. It seems to be breaking it down. This person has a lot of knowledge on that. I, you, you have the name. I forgot the name, but um, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. And it's 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 nice because that person goes into some of the history of nonprofits. But um, you, you know, I think the, the nonprofit industrial complex is a new term that has been taken from the first use of an industrial complex which was the prison, or not the prison industrial complex, the, um, the military industrial complex, which I think was first said by Eisenhower, actually, at the end of his presidency. 
um, it, it was that 1961, I think, um, announcing that for everyone to beware of the nonprofit industrial complex because he, and he was a general himself in World War II, and he was admitting that as a president, he realized that the military and the Pentagon, all of the arms of it were a very big monstrosity. Right? That was his closing remarks when he left the presidency, basically. Um, so, you know, that refers to the whole, you know, um, all of the, the entire industry that's wrapped up in weapons manufacturing, you know, that's private companies, that's the state, the contractors of the Pentagon the state um, across many countries and corporations that are wrapped up in that. Um, so, you, you know, an, an industrial complex to define that would be something that is, it's, it's a complicated web of industries that all depend on a particular policy or issue in politics to uh, with the state to run in order for it to function. Then the same with the prison industrial complex, which kind of sort of came next. I believe Angela Davis pointed that one. Um, in terms of, you know, all the private prisons, all of the all of the, the drug war, everything that's wrapped up in that that, that makes the prison industrial complex an economic entity that benefits, right? So, you know, and then we get to the nonprofit industrial complex, which seems a little counterintuitive if nonprofits are supposed to be charitable and helping people, but it's really wrapped up in large foundations, which is basically it's just a flush fund of corporate money that doesn't get taxed, so corporations cannot have to pay the government. And then we don't have as many government programs that are publicly accountable to help citizens that need public money to that is part of their taxes that they should receive back for help. Instead, they get to funnel it and control large nonprofits often um, that then are these apparatuses that depend on kind of corporate power and capitalism to run um, in order to keep going. So that's why it's, an, it's part of the, and the, the term industrial complex. Yeah. And, you know, something I find to be super interesting when it comes to um, a lot of these charities is that they're supposed to be doing all this, like, benevolent work, right, and helping the community, but they really don't <laughs> in a lot of ways. Um and it's yeah. like, you know, like there's this idea that instead of, you know, like, oh, let's, you know, uh, send $300 million to a charity to help them combat homelessness, like when we could just build uh, an apartment complex and just put homeless people in it, like, you know what I mean? And so it's always really sort of bizarre yeah. to me that um, they're supposed to be doing all this good work and they're ultimately just not. Um, you know, and there's like all this money that's going into it, but there's not a lot coming out in terms of, you know, tangible benefits for all these uh, people or organizations or entities that are supposed to be uh, helped by, you know, these 501c3 charities. And it's, that's just really wild to me. Yeah, you know, and um, I, I see a lot of people describe nonprofits as um, there being kind of three sectors of society in our economy. There's the private sector, then there's the public sector with the state, and then there's the nonprofit sector. And what seems to have happened is people think of the nonprofits as not profiting, but we know that, you know, the CEO, or not the CEOs, but the, the top executives of nonprofits, well, it's the big ones. Yeah. You know, they're millionaires. They yep. are benefiting. They are making a big profit. But because we've, you know, obscured this through the tax 
status of a 501c3 that means you don't have to be taxed to be doing certain charity mm -hmm. then we think that people are just getting what's the bare bones of what's necessary but um you know that's not even true in the sense of what nonprofits do and this was an ironic thing that i actually wasn't aware of until recently that i, I think it's only about something like five to ten percent of the actual money made by nonprofits are from foundations and grants yeah it's actually from services so that means like hospitals that you think are a business but they're actually a nonprofit. they don't pay taxes but they will charge the same amount of money for services that you actually for the private entity. Yep. So there's a it's a big loophole basically to get around taxes in order for that money from foundations to be accountable to people. That means the foundations can do whatever they want instead of people saying no, we pay we all pay these taxes and we all get to vote about what we think these, this money should actually be doing for us. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and actually, as you said this, I'm trying to, like, find it now. Of course, I can't find it because I forgot to prep it. Um, speaking of accountability was, uh, I think uh, people really started sort of uh, taking notice of um, how there's just no accountability a couple of years ago. Do you remember the ice bucket challenge? Remember that? Anybody? Oh, yeah. No? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Oh, okay. I was like, just me? All right. I guess I'm the only one who remembers. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, but because that was for uh, ALS, right? And so it was supposed to be mm -hmm. doing research. And then folks actually started looking at the charity, and I am trying to find the numbers now, but it was something only like 8% of their entire revenue actually goes to research. Like, they had people dumping buckets of ice yeah. water on themselves and donating millions of dollars, and like less than 10% actually goes to the research, and it's like, really? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, and so it's just... Mm -hmm. um, and legally... Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, legally, legally only only five percent of what a foundation makes when you when you donate to whatever charitable foundation only ten percent of it has to go to the actual charity or causes yes. the rest can be used however they want to invest it a lot of it goes to the stock market mm -hmm. etc from the from the ceos who made the foundation yes absolutely okay well i'm apparently not going to find the number to confirm but yeah it was an incredibly small amount of their budget actually goes to what they say it does and then of course you know everybody who's um you know, working for their, like, they'll have volunteers come in and, you know, work for almost nothing or work for nothing. But yeah, as you said, the people who are, you know, in charge of these organizations are making a ton of money. I think it's what the head of the Red Cross makes like $500,000 a year. What the fuck? What? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, well, I'm know, trying uh, to engineer the show and I have to hear that shit. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> But yeah, and well, I mean, because they had a lot of criticisms, especially after the earthquakes in Haiti, and they were like, because people in Haiti were saying, you know, the Red Cross came down here and they got like, you know, all these millions of dollars from, um, you know, folks who thought they were helping by donating, and then they built like five houses and left. And it's like, yeah, but we gave them like a hundred million dollars. What are you talking about? You know? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we should talk about it in terms of it's like money laundering. It's organized yes. crime to me. I mean, <clears throat> frankly, across borders. So, you know, um, that money disappeared. And, I mean, that's what, where, where did it go? Um, yeah, you know, and there's, you know, in terms of people who work for nonprofits, too, mm -hmm. um, you know, there, there is, over the last few years, nonprofits now consist of 10% of the workforce. Um, so that's huge. It's one in 10 workers in the United States, at least, who work for a nonprofit. And, um, 
You know, I think there's a lot of people, I, I've known a lot of people who work in nonprofits and people who do good work. You know, that's the thing. It's complicated. There's small nonprofits that are trying to get their little, you know, their little slice in to do, to function as an organization. And I, you know, and I totally get that. So it's not monolithic, but, you know, the point of it being a complex is that there's a system here that's a problem. So, right. you know, I know people who do nonprofit organizing, and I mean, that can include unions, that's charity organizations, it's all kinds of places that, you know, they treat their workers as if they realize they're, they're going into doing organizing, what they think is going to be community organizing, and they're thankful, okay, I can get paid to do this now. Mm-hmm. And they realize it feels like they're working for a corporation. It's structured like a corporation. It is. It has the hierarchy of an organization, and there were choices made by that. We're, we're, nonprofit organizations don't necessarily have to be um, function function that way. You know, they right. have to have a board. They have to have all the stuff that the state requires for you to have that status. But See, they have there's have very minimal requirements, actually. So it was the choice of the people who wanted us to profit from this, really. Mm-hmm. He said, okay, we're going to make this function like just like the management um, of organization of a corporation with the hierarchies, with people yes. at the bottom doing the most work, mm-hmm. having mean these rights, and, and um, being treated fairly. Yes, and actually, uh, I just pulled this up just to mostly just to piss off William. Um, this hmm. is an article. <laughs> yes, this is an article from uh, 2012. No. Yes. And uh, in it, it states that at the time, Gail McGovern, who was the president and CEO of the Red Cross, uh, was making $475,000 a year in 2012. Doing what? Being the CEO. Like, exactly how many crosses did they spray paint on the wall? What the fuck were they... How... What happened? And, uh, what? So, like, this nigga must have donated that many dollars worth worth of blood they organized that many people they did something that makes it worth that much money my favorite part about this article though is it's actually trying to defend this by saying um but that's only 0.02 percent of the organization's expenses like that somehow makes this okay um compared to other organizations this is low for example united ways chief brian gallagher (laughs) makes five hundred and sixty thousand dollars a year the CEO of the American Cancer Society makes $914,000 a year, and other salaries in the organization total $1.5 million. Uh, the CEO of Food for the Poor uh, earns almost $400,000 a year. Shit, I need, I need to get in the business of helping people. Huh? <laughs> so, yeah, fuck? That's, that's, what you're, that's what a lot of charity dollars go to. But, yeah, you know, because they have the websites like Charity Navigator, and um, there's another one that I can't think of, where you can, like, look and see how much of their funding goes into actual work, how much of it is based on salaries, like, what the top uh, people in positions uh, are making. But, yeah, like, that's people really think that they're doing this, like, uh, you know anybody can donate sort of thing, right? Like, I can't, you know, people think like, oh, I can't be on the ground, you know, doing work. I can't get out and organize. You know, I don't have a lot of resources. So they're like, but I do have, you know, $20. Let me send it to an organization. And a lot of people really just don't realize that that money's probably not going to help the people that you intended to help if you're um, donating to these, like, large charities. So let's, um, let's take a look here because I think words are neat, the word. Really? The rapper thinks words are neat. Yes, ma'am. Yes. The word is corruption. C-O-R-R-U-P-T-I-O-N. Definition one. Dishonest or fraudulent conduct by those in power 
typically involving bribery. Definition two, the process by which something, typically a word or expression, is changed from it, from its original use or meaning to one that is regarded as erroneous or debased. These are non-profit, right? Yes. So, and the shit that we see them doing that makes them an industrial complex kind of makes them fit definitions one and two, rhetorically and in practice. Yeah. So, just remember, folks, like, we're not just throwing around words like corruption. We actually mean it. Never, never hesitate to stop and look up a word and remind yourself why you're using it. Phoenix. Yes. Oh, it's on Charity Navigator. I was just looking to see the updated uh, Red Cross shit. There's so many charities that start with an R. My God. They're in alphabetical order. Um, They're 10% of the workforce. No. 10%. No. What? 10. No. Diaz. No. Yes, one in 10 workers in the United States work for a nonprofit. But remember, that could be universities. That could be hospitals. Right. That's mm. charity. That's churches. All of those are 501c3s. Shit. And, or also maybe unions. That's a slightly different filing with the state, but it's not profit. <clears throat> um, I mean, it's a, it's a huge apparatus. Um which I appreciate the uh, irony of that is I um, used to work at a church, which was a nonprofit. And now I work for Swap, which is also a nonprofit. Holy shit. Uh, Dr. Springler, you just made me Google it because this is something I thought was dope that I thought the nigga was just doing because it's cool. But the Snoop Dogg Youth Football League is a 501c3 nonprofit. Yes. Oh, yeah. Jesus. Yeah, a lot of sports, sports leagues. The... Um, the... What's the name of it? The National uh, Rifle Association, NRA, is a nonprofit. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, you know, that's how it works. Um, and the NRA is yeah, doing no. good work. Huh? The, the NRA, like, they're doing good work. Like, they, they do outreach. They have a mm-hmm. mission program. Right. You right. know, the, the, those that can't afford guns, they... Um, <laughs> They take, they have like a, a, what do they call it? A slush fund, petty cash. Right, right. They make sure everybody who's not strapped is strapped just in case police roll through your neighborhood. You never know what's going to happen. You know what I find amusing about the NRA is that you can't um, stop being a member. You can't? Why not? Because they won't let you. Like, they will not take your name off the rolls. Even if you, like, stop paying, like, dues and you can, like, send them mail if you, like, take my name off your shit, they won't let you off the rolls. So they can keep their membership up. So they're like the Mormons of nonprofits. Yes, <laughs> yes, actually. And just fun. Someone was tweeting about it, and like their dad has been dead for two years, and he still gets NRA mail, like as a member. <laughs> He's not even alive. What kind of morbid, <laughs> fucked up shit? Because this keeping up your numbers, it all looks good on your uh, government <clears throat> paperwork. Like that's why. So Phoenix Kalita, what is it like for nonprofit organizations? that aren't doing corporate shit and deliberately trying to benefit a political party or things like that, um, they, they, they get a lot of funding, right? We're poor as fuck. <laughs> we are fucking poor. I don't know. That dashiki you got from Ross, the way those threads are coming out, that looks pretty fresh. Uh, Yeah, the $7 dashiki that's starting to fall apart. Yes, okay. Yo, so you had $7 for a dashiki. I did have $7 for a dashiki. Then I, I think your nonprofit's doing pretty well. Our nonprofit is not doing the best. 
Wasn't um, your hair dyed purple earlier this year? It was, but somebody did that for me for free. Oh, so you make all this money with your nonprofit, <laughs> and then you get free purple hair. Mm-hmm. All right, but yeah, what, 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 yeah, like, so what is it like, what, what obstacles are you uh, facing? Well, I mean, it's really, well, I mean, it's hard to find funding because a lot of folks, you know, if they're not, I think it's sort of parallel to like, um, like leftist media, right? So like people will trust uh, like a CNN or an MSNBC because they know the name, right? Because it's like the professional anchors making all, and like they're making all the money, but then they're also running the narrative of what news is like. So it's hard for like actual independent outlets, especially leftist outlets to be heard. It's somewhat like that with um, the 501c3s because it's like, you know, we're not the Red Cross. So people aren't, they're like, who are you? Like, you know, people don't even know who we are, so they don't want to donate. And then the type of work that we do makes people uncomfortable, right? I mean, I think I've said before, I'm on um, the national board of uh, Swap USA, Sex Workers Outreach Project. Um, oh, this this episode um, d- doesn't drop till Tuesday. So do you want to say the other sentence? <laughs> I'm also the director of communications for Swap USA. Yeah. Um, I'm starting that Monday, so, you know, yay. Um, but, yeah, it's definitely... Congrats, congrats. Thank you. But yeah, it's definitely something that there's a struggle with because people, because you don't already have that sort of um, like notoriety, people don't take you serious as a charity. But then another problem is, um, you know, they would rather, they feel safer donating to like a name that they know, even if that charity isn't, um, you know, like doing the work, you know, as well as some other ones are. And I find that to be an issue a lot with Swap uh, when you talk to people is they're like, well, you know... Uh, they're already uncomfortable, right? Because it's uh, helping sex workers and people are already like really fucking uncomfortable with that. We've had people who won't donate to us because they think like they're going to be um, like investigated by the FBI for like committing a crime or something because they work with sex workers. Are you saying, wait, are you saying the Ford Foundation isn't interested in that? <laughs> <laughs> what? What? <laughs> They don't want to. Don't, they don't want to donate. You know, half a million dollars. No. Or, you know, no. actually empowering sex workers. No. Exactly. Yeah. No. No. Nobody. Nobody wants to give us yeah. money. Well, um, why would they? You've already got glamorous, light skinned Negroes and seven dollar dashikis. You clearly don't need any help. <laughs> we need help. Um, but you know, it's you know really hard to find funding in that aspect. And even though you know there's charities like us that. You know, the money is like nobody's going to ever fucking make four hundred thousand dollars a year working for Swap, okay? Um, you know, but <clears throat> people still really rather give it to a larger name charity, even though they're not uh doing the work. And uh, you know, a lot of these larger charities, like the work quote unquote that they do is really just like not helpful because it's not on a ground level, you know. It's very um <clears throat> like that's a lot of people who haven't lived in a certain lifestyle, like dictating what they think, like the their lessers need. You know what I mean? So I find that to be an issue too. Yeah, but yeah. It's just I, yeah, I hate, and I hate that's it. that's the big thing when it comes to um, how how decisions end up getting made in the nonprofit. Not just because um, in major nonprofits the the hierarchy of who's in charge tends to be. You know, you'll get white upper middle class people who typically, or people who align with that, who are going to be in the top managerial positions of a nonprofit, who get to make all the decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not democratic, and but not only that, it's, it's even with nonprofits that want to kind of step out and do something different, they'll lose their funding from 
foundations and major grant funders um, if they step out of line. That's what happened to Insight, um, the organization that, that wrote the book, that, that initial book about the, the revolution will not be funded, mm-hmm. was they had funding from some foundation to do some work and some, uh, you know, um, conferences and things like that, and then they got their funding taken back from them from the foundation when they were doing, when they posted, you know, public support um, for Palestinian rights. Mm-hmm. So the second they try to do something that is advanced the struggle, it's, you know, the people who have the real power are the, the people who have all the money that's funding them. Yep. So they make decisions based on what is going to suit those corporations that are actually giving the grant. So it's not about the struggle because it's not democratically controlled by the people who are, as it's a charity foundation for poverty or homelessness, those homeless people don't get to get together in a, in a you know, in um, some assembly, some community assembly and say, this is what we want with this stuff that's supposed to be working with us and benefiting us. Mm-hmm. No, they, they don't have any decisions. It's, it's about, and, you know, that's the next problem after that is not only who makes the decisions, it's the big million dollar, billion dollar funders. Yeah. It's, you know, it's also that the employees there, they need the problem to continue in order to have their career because it's a corporate model. Right. Like they need that as a resource. Mm-hmm. The, the poverty and the pain and of poor people and oppressed people that they are, are profiting off of, if they bet those away, they don't have a job. So how are they really, they can't solve the problem because they're, they're, be, they're benefiting off of it by right. the way they structure themselves, yep. you know, and, and they professionalize it. That's another problem is the professionalization of it. In order to get jobs like that, typically, you know, if, it's, if there's a really small community-based, you know, nonprofit or something like what you're working in Phoenix, you know, that's different where they're engaging with the people they're actually, um, who are like members or part of that community. But most nonprofits, you're not going to get a position there unless you have a master's degree from a university in nonprofit management or social work. So those homeless people aren't going to come up into that organization and become empowered and now have a job dealing with that issue. Mm-hmm. It's going to be more privileged people who got a degree in that who come in foreign from into that community in order to manage that community and have a career in it. Yep. Yeah. And I just wanted to touch on um, something that you just mentioned as far as uh, it being like the millionaires and people who have money and privilege doing the donating and doing the funding is that um, it's really evident i think in a lot of organizations that the goal is never actually creating systemic change in that aspect because that really does make them uncomfortable and i think that um a lot of folks don't necessarily think about that when they think about um like the places that 501c3s and charities like can fall a little bit short and i really do think that that should be discussed because it's like do you honestly think that fucking you know, Bill Gates or Jeff Bezos are going to donate to something that might actually uh, create, like, actual societal change? Like, come on now. Come on. Because I know people love to be like, oh, but the Gates Foundation and, you know, like, but this millionaire did this and these, you know, so-and-so donated to that. And it's like, do you honestly think they'd be donating all this money, though, if um, it was actually going to create uh, solutions to the problem, if it was actually going to um, empower people, right? Like, you know, a lot of it is based on maintaining the social hierarchy that we have, and people really don't recognize that as a function of charities, even though in a lot of aspects, that's very much what they do. (laughs) You know. Yeah, you know, I'm glad, I'm glad you brought up support, uh, not support, the, um, the, the Gates Foundation, because 
I believe that's actually the largest foundation, the wealthiest foundation in the world. It's not like $50 billion. Um, and, and, you know, everybody talks about Gates, you know, like you said, you know, with his vaccines and, you know, bringing them to all the poor children who, you know, okay, you know, in third world countries who wouldn't otherwise have health access. Well, no, that's not true. It's impoverishment and colonialism and imperialism destabilizing sovereign countries that creates the health problem. But, you know, anyway... But we have, you know, so we can talk about, like, so he got these vaccine programs. Well, there's, like, there's like thousands and hundreds of thousands of children in India and in different nations of Africa that were the guinea pigs for his vaccines yep. that were injured and killed by his vaccine <laughs> because they won't do that on American children. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what does it mean that, so he does, so he does a charitable thing to develop these vaccines, kills a bunch of kids in the testing grounds, brown and black kids. And then to develop these vaccines, well, the rest of his foundation that isn't sent to the, these, these imperial charity programs around the world, the rest of the, a lot, most of the funding that's, that's in the rest of the foundation that goes into investments into pharmaceutical companies that take that research that the nonprofit um, charities did for vaccines, and they take that research in order to privatize it, own the patents, and mm-hmm. then you know, charge way, you know, way too expensive in healthcare to use these vaccines in order to make profits off them in the, in the, um, yep. these pharmaceutical companies. I mean, then we got the medical industrial complex connected. So, I mean, right. it's like none of that is good for charity. It's literally the little amount that goes to charity is built to help <laughs> his own investment ventures. Yeah. Yeah, that's always something that's wild to me is people will be like, well, but if he doesn't care, then why is he helping all these people? I'm like, so so that they can grow up to be adults that he can exploit in a Microsoft factory. That's why. Like, it's not, it's not about uh, humanity or compassion or actually trying to make the world a better place. It's about um, tax havens and maintaining profit and social control. Like, it's really not about um, helping folks. And, I, yeah, I, I just yeah. really wish more folks... Um, could sort of like latch onto that idea but it's really hard to convince people that you know because charity is in the name or because it has the you know official 501c3 status or whatever like it's somehow got to be good and it's like that's just not uh, the reality of the situation a lot of these organizations are absolutely um determined not to fix uh, social problems yeah you know and you know i think we really need to push people to you know, get out of the myths, like you're saying, about nonprofits as good or, or what the status of a nonprofit actually means. And say, no, this is a huge apparatus that makes a lot of profit. It's not, you know, it's not what we think. Um, it's a way so that tax money, it's a way to subsidize private ventures instead of public money basically staying public where we get to decide what to do with it. Mm-hmm. That's just, off, it's just austerity. It's just like contracting <laughs> out public services, you know. It, 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 just in a different, through a different um, tax loop. So, you know, I, I think, you know, it also makes this question, how do movements, um, how will movements fund themselves and function without nonprofits? Because we see that, you know, large nonprofits that will, you know, do things like, you know, they run anti-violence um, campaigns or they run, you know, or even things like SEIU, which is like the huge union, um, mm-hmm. fighting for the, you know, fight for 15. They purposely <laughs> like blows, you know, this is, this is kind of like this quick overview of, of that, the fight for 15 issue being that they 
you know, they purposely kind of drag their feet on it. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they're basically the equivalent of lobbyists for their own bureaucracy to stay stable and make a lot of money. These careerists who are at the top of the unions like that. And, you know, they, they basically, they parade, you know, poor people at poor McDonald's workers around in circles at these rallies that they get paid to put on and get funding to put on. Mm-hmm. And it took them so many years to get the $15 an hour in Illinois that by the time it happened, and it's still going to take time to, like, roll in and increments into workplaces, you know, McDon- they, they, they went ahead and let McDonald's, as part of the negotiation, they let McDonald's shut down, like, a whole bunch of their stores and cut staff where it's only management at a lot of McDonald's and that sort restaurants, I mean, um, where there's not basic staff anymore. They just have the machines that you order mm-hmm. from yeah. and management. So that's how they dealt. Instead of having to pay those people $15 now, those people march in circles for free for, you know, for SEIU, for their organizers to make their cut for years. And then the, the payoff is that they most have lost their jobs and SEIU let it happen. Yep. Like, so what? This is like, this is how movements go to die. <laughs> exactly. This kind of, these kind of things that suit them, not the people they claim to be fighting for, because those people don't have any power in it. Mm-hmm. So um, I've just looked this up. Um, according to Giving USA, which does annual reports um, about charities, in um, 2018, where did the total go? Americans gave $427 billion to charity. Like, you think that would be enough to solve almost every fucking problem, right? Like, how the fuck are there still homeless? $427 billion, how the fuck are there still homeless people? How the fuck are that? Why the fuck yeah. do people still have GoFundMe's up to pay for their fucking medical bills? That's because you you didn't donate you 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 didn't donate to the bootstraps charity <laughs> to get people bootstraps to pull themselves up by. Mm-hmm. That's why. Um, you know what I mean? And it's like, so how the fuck is all this money going to charities, and yet we still have all these fucking problems? Yeah, there's still not enough money to go around. You know, and I think that's really um, just looking at the numbers as like the conversation that we need to be having because it's like, you know, because people when you say things like, yeah, actually, uh, the industry relies on not solving problems so people can stay employed as, um, you know, as employees of a 501c3 charity. Or when you say things like this is just for corporations, um, you know, to get their tax write offs, not because they actually care. People really look at you sideways, but it's like, look at these numbers. How the fuck did we donate this much money to charity? And there's like world hunger is still a problem. How the fuck is that possible? <laughs> you know, when you really just sit down and look at the numbers, like it's just. Okay. So the, okay. So you, you want the answer on the world hunger thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's because you're not supporting GMOs. They're making GMOs to solve world hunger. That's just free food. <laughs> uh-huh. That's why it exists. Mm-hmm. No GMOs cost money. It's all free. <laughs> I don't know if you knew that. Mm-hmm. Really? And uh, and the thing is, something was it was mentioned by the doctor with uh with McDonald's and running a location on managers. I remember um in the two thousand nine recession depression conception, I uh fucking I was still in a restaurant chain when I was living in Florida, and when we went to the Doctor Phillips area, they actually shaved it down to where it was just myself and three other managers, so just four managers. And four employees, they shaved it down to that. Wow. Uh, and it's a seven-day, it's a restaurant chain. It's a national chain. It's seven days a week. It's open. And this is a Florida, this is the Universal Studios area. Hmm. 
there's of some clients do come through and uh yeah they'll they'll cut it all the way down to that there were no kiosks but there was a lot of sprinting around to get orders out that is wild yeah they'll do it capitalism is a death cult yeah and then they like they hold technological advancement over your head like a threat to take away your minimum wage job but uh, the topic is not there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, I was going to say, and that's why we need UBI, but um, like, yeah. honestly. U- UBI with the kind of rent control that would make land leeches want to get out of the business. That would be nice. That would be really nice. <laughs> yeah, that's my thing on UBI is we, we have to have control for the other sectors of um, where working class people, the majority of people, where their money goes because... The landlords can just raise rent because they don't have power there. Landlords do. Um, you know, things like that. Um, places can charge more money and inflate prices because they know there's extra income coming in and they'll be able to take that unless we take control of the economy. Right. To ensure that. Then it's like, no, this actually saves for us to use. You can't just double our rent in this city because you know everybody has an extra thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep, or you'll see, I mean, and then you got to do something about um, about private vendors in small, poor neighborhoods of goods. Yeah. Like, all of a sudden, there's a UBI, and all of a sudden, that bag of Doritos costs $2 more. What the fuck happened? Mm-hmm. Could you imagine if we got UBI, how many fucking, um, like, payday loan places would be popping up? Like, so many. So many. Oh, yeah, because you know what? Because yeah. people would be like, okay, well, until I get my UBI check, I can get this payday loan, mm-hmm. and I'll be able to pay it back. But then, of course, as it tends to go, something else will go wrong. And you never pay it back. Yeah, which will domino something else going wrong. And uh, over in the telephone board, I see um 773. Um, I see your number there. I don't know if you're listening by telephone. And if you would like to speak and um and... Have your opinion heard on um on the nonprofit industrial complex? You can press the number one, and it'll show me a notification on the screen. Phoenix Kaliter. Yes. Anyways, I feel like we did a nice little tangent there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we're so good at tangenting on this show. But anyways, yes. Back to uh yes. Back to nonprofits. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm just. I guess I'm just really disappointed in the entire system because it's just like it's supposed to be set up to do all these good things and none of the good things are happening really and that makes me sad i don't know yeah so what are some maybe we can talk about some solutions or ideas of kind of how to get out of this hole because yeah that's the thing and it's it's not exclusively the democratic party that does this you know there are just like the nra that is a right wing um you know, Republican funding group. Mm-hmm. But I think the, the really slimy parts of this that runs more through liberals. It's more common um, that nonprofit organizations tend to be in, run by um, liberal elites that are connected as operatives often than the Democratic Party in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even it, it even relates to things, you know, especially the universities and things like that. That That is liberal rant we can't you know right. a lot of media groups are are liberal rant you know so i because i get very you know it's why i push back against a lot of the narratives of like oh it's the right-wing people or like fox news there's more channels like msnbc and cnn 
that you would just, that would be described as centrist Democrat aligned. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of their funding goes either way, but they are involved in this narrative and what would be the liberal elite to, that are very in charge of the not-profit industrial complex of the majority. So, you know, I think, you know, and you see things like how, for instance, the Women's March on Washington, that was all ran by some major NGOs that were, um, that, you know, all the the, the leaders and the board of, you know, the, of the Women's March um, on the, on Washington were all like non-profit executives, the major non-profits. And so none of them endorse Hillary Clinton because they can't as, as organizations, but their fingers are all in this, you know. Mm-hmm. Right. So, and then you get people who come out and want to be part of a movement, but it's hijacked and controlled by something that is totally, doesn't really have their interest in mind. It's just interested in controlling their narrative and their identity politics or whatever the issue is in order to get those that keep the corporations in power, which is the Democrats do now. Right. So, like, what... You know, how do we get around that? And especially when, you know, people who spend, you know, what, $5, $10, $20 a charity organizations, they're not the people that those organizations ask and say, hey, what do you think we should do with this money? Exactly. No, it's the big, it's the biggest funders that they, you know, the, found, the big foundations that decide and the board, you know, the, the board of directors that are all big funders that are picked out to be on these boards. But those are the people that make the decisions of what they do. So how do we, like, what about all those people who send, like, $10 to groups? Like, why can't we, say, like, stop sending them to to big nonprofits? We have to send, you know, do it, send it to real community organizations. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, and then I'll, you know, I might... I'll kind of close this thought here for you, you guys to jump on it. But, you know, then people aren't clear even what organizations are good because, you know, that's another problem is you'll get people who say, oh, you know, let's send your money to the Red Cross. We know the Red Cross with this, this, and that. That's terrible. So send it to, here's a group of, you know, maybe like, here's 10, you know, black ran charity groups or something mm-hmm. like that that are organizations, especially with the, the current events and the uprising. It's like, send it to these black organizations. And it's like, some of those that have you looked, are those links, like, or you're, you know, you're buying, you know, Black Lives Matter t-shirts from somebody who you think is supposed to be like this Black Lives Matter organization, but those don't even know what is Black Lives Matter. So right. they're sending their money to somebody who isn't even part of an organization and they just made an Etsy. Like, you, there's there's very little accountability even inside movements that claim to be against the old guard of opportunists who we're not even sure who are the new opportunists. It, it, it's kind of a big mess we're in, you know? Yeah. All right. And with that, so we have that premise up in the air. Yes. And I'm going to go ahead and toss it over to 773. And we're clicking you in. Your microphone is hot. And where are you at? And how did you come across the program? And what is your comment? Um, yeah, you know, I think a lot. Well, I think um, a lot with the with the nonprofit industrial complex. I mean, it's you know, unfortunately, um, you know, it's 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 replacing government. Um, so when you have you know the austerity programs, um, especially in the the blue states in the blue cities that are shutting down, um, you know, shutting out, you know, a lot of these, not a lot of these government jobs belong to black people. And, um, you know, what happened was they, they got rid of these jobs 
and then they, they farmed them out to all of these nonprofits, um, which are, you know, run by, by white people, white liberals. Um, and so it's, it's really, you know, jobs disappear, and even white liberals need jobs, and then they, they fill up these jobs at, at nonprofits. So, I mean, it's a real, um, I don't know how we get out of it when um, so many, um, you know, government organ these units of government provided services to the black community, the poor folks, and now these 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 services have been shipped out to nonprofits. Um, so I don't know um, how how we um, you know how we get out of it, except for that we really have to start making our communities um, sustainable, where we um, we're able to provide services uh, to counter the, these nonprofits, because again, these were services that used to be provided by government and now are provided by nonprofits, which are um, are run by white people, we uh, white liberals. We look at it um, even with the anti-violence organizations um, in Chicago. Uh, they just got a huge grant, uh, all these grants from the city of Chicago, um, to deal with the the violence. Um, you know, which was really revolutionary violence, um, with, which was the looting, um, you know, and, uh, uh, folks in the street, um, you know, who had legitimate cause to be out there. Um, now, we don't talk about these folks. We just give all the credit to Black Lives Matter when it was really um, these folks in the streets who made it made it possible. But these these nonprofits are now providing these so- so-called services to um, to mitigate and lift these folks uh, supposedly out of poverty, um, and it's it's white liberals who had no clue of, of how to how to correct these these issues because you know they're systemic. Um, so I think that we just have to you know replace nonprofits by providing our own services uh, collectively um, to heal and and to empower communities as opposed to what the nonprofits do is just. Uh, keep us really in bondage, keep us in check by not telling us how to alleviate the pro- the, 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 po- the poverty. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that definitely makes What's sense. What's the name of where you're calling from? Pardon? Oh, I'm calling from Chicago. Cool. No, that definitely uh, makes a lot of sense, and I think a lot of that is relatively accurate. Um, just as far as... Uh, the goal is not actually to find solutions and we do need to find a way around it. Um, I think right now in particular, just with all the uprisings that are happening, this is a great time to, um, really start focusing on mutual aid. Uh, I think a lot of folks don't have a lot of practice with it. A lot of, I think a lot of folks aren't great with it, but like this, this is the fucking time. (laughs) All right. And, um, and from there, yeah, go ahead. Dr. Springler. Oh, I was just going to say, you know, with mutual aid, I think um, we have to politicize it. Um, you know, some groups will, you know, get into mutual aid and get into the communities, but, like, we have to build the structures of, like, okay, we're, you know, we're in our own community doing what we do, and we're doing it because this is what we believe in. Like, this is what we're doing, you know. I hate mm-hmm. to make the connection to churches, but the reason they're, like, successful is they do stuff. They're in the community. They say, you're hurt, and we want to talk to you. Come to our meeting and talk about how you are hurt. And they, they're they so passionate <laughs> about God that they get people in who are hurt to talk about their hurt and 
to then start talking about their ideology with it. You know, I, I'm giving you an example because I, I'm not religious at all with organized religion. Um, I'm very against it for the most part. So, um, but how do we go, you know, say, okay, you know, we're doing this now. Come and let's do something together. Let's eat together. Let's do a community event together where we can connect to each other and talk about these issues. And that's how we politicize it. Not just like preaching at people, but like... Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? I think that, like, with mutual aid, I think people need to get to that level with the organizations. Um. Oh, and I saw one caller. I was I was trying to click you in while letting uh, Dr. Springler speak, but one caller just um, hung up. And another person is on, but I do not see the notification. If you want to press 1 to uh, click in, I will uh, click you in. Oh, and there that is. Okay, 408. All right, and 408, we're making your microphone hot. And uh, uh, what is your name, and how did you come across the program? Uh, my name is Wade Dizzy, and I came across, the, came across your program because I was surfing. <laughs> All right. All right, and you have a comment on this topic? You know, can you give me just a little more, give me, give me some more hot stuff, you know what I mean? Give me just a little more hot stuff, and let me see what I can come up with, because I'm still kind of thinking about it, you know what I mean? Okay. (laughs) Um, Anyways, yeah, I think um, definitely mutual aid is the way to go. I think that one of the difficulties um, that we have as far as doing that type of organizing and mutual aid is that we don't always have places to go. Um, Obviously, meeting outside becomes an is a potential issue with police because police. um, Yeah. And it's like because it's not and like that's the one benefit that a church has and. Um, you know, I actually, uh, used to be a practicing Catholic back when, um, and that was one of the cool things is that the church was just always open. Like no matter, you know, I mean, they were closed at night, obviously, but like during the day you could just go in. Oh yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Go ahead. Okay. Okay. I got you now. I got you. I got you. I got you. And so, yeah, you're talking about a place where we can come together, right? Yes. Okay. My whole thing is. And it's always going to be this way. It's not going to change because this is the way it works. Is to dissolve the ego, the false sense of who people think they are, and speak to the person who they are. So that none of that stuff becomes the distraction. All right. Because if, because if that stuff is, is a distraction, then I got to tell my people... I want you to observe your intentions when you're going in and when you're coming out of what I'm talking about, I want you to pay attention, which would mean observe your distractions. All right. Yeah, I mean, I think in a way, when it comes to reaching out to people, um, this might not be exactly what this caller meant, but I can jump on that. Um, when it comes to kind of getting people, working with people is where they're at. Because um, I don't think really preaching at people or just kind of throwing your ideology at people really does anything. Maybe people who've only organized at a university think that works, but it doesn't. Um, it's, you know, I think, and that's the difference when you have a community center or a place that people can go, you can meet people at the same level and have a discussion. You know, I actually think that things like rallies where, you, you know, people with, people are kind of yelling at each other or yelling out what, what their ideology is does very little 
I think it has a place. It has a place in terms of if you're trying to bring people out and it's a strategy to, like, get PR and get a little bit of media to say, hey, we're doing this march and rally, that's fine. But it's a very limited thing. And when people think that that is politics and political change, mm -hmm. I think they're very misguided. And yeah. especially how things have morphed when that kind of protest is ran by the nonprofit industrial complex that gets permits and pays for that kind of stuff, typically. Yeah. Um, but on that point, what we were saying about community centers, that is that we need community centers, a place that people can go where regular community things and um, assemblies, people's assemblies can happen. You know, that was the big thing with Occupy that really struck me was I was able to Occupy Wall Street movement was I was able to just walk up to a group and they had an assembly where people could vote on things and discuss things and anybody could get on and say what they wanted to say during an assembly mm -hmm. for a certain amount of time, you know. And so it was really like, oh, wow, I can participate in something and it makes me open my ears differently. Yeah. I'm not just walking by a rally where people are yelling about something where I'm not a part of it. Mm -hmm. it's, I think it's very limited the amount of people who, the people who actually get engaged in that are a lot smaller than what people think. Um, people who weren't already thinking that way is what I mean. But if you're in a community and you can break bread together, in a way, you'll start, and you're regularly there in a community that's a different kind of relationship and that's a different way of getting people to talk and think and discuss new ideas. Mm -hmm. um, just like a church one in some ways yeah. and, and we, as we come uh, closer toward the uh, close out of this episode thanks to folks for participating Phoenix Kaleeder does have to leave and go do non-profit stuff <laughs> I do have to, go, have to go work for my non-profit sorry <laughs> yes I'm leaving the conversation about why non-profits are bad to go work for a non-profit yes that's right <laughs> but, yeah. but, but you're doing again $7 dashikis <laughs> You know these uh, these fat cats at the bottom. Yes. You know sitting sitting high on the baloney. <laughs> high on the baloney. Who the fuck says Fried that? Fried baloney. Who says that? Yeah. Is that great value cheese? <sighs> you have problems. Um, <laughs> yep. And socialism ain't one. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I just I will just say that definitely people need to be more realistic about um, how charities function, what they do. Um, if you are going to donate to like a 501c3, look them up. There are websites that um, have all the details about, you know, how much they bring in, what they do, things like that. And I think that we really should uh, divest from uh, the whole uh, basically scam <laughs> 501c3s and really just pour that into mutual aid and doing local organizing. The money is definitely going to go a lot further and create a lot more results because the goal is to actually... Uh, create change and to create results and that's not the goal of a lot of charities and so you know just be mindful of where you're donating your time and money and think you know what is it what the fuck is that shit they used to say all the time um think uh act locally think globally yes yeah. yes yeah um start doing that but yeah um i think this is definitely the time to start working on mutual aid projects to start really reaching out and doing coalition building um, you know, among different leftists at this point, because, you know, there might be people who are more focused on racism or maybe more focused on uh, gender rights or more focused on LGBTQ rights. But I think that we all have an understanding um, that these things are interconnected, that we're all on the same side. And like, this is the time to start doing the coalition building and doing that work, because we're going to need that mutual aid to keep movements uh, going forward. Because right now, a lot of these movements are not self-sustaining, and we're not going to get this funding from 501c3s, even though they're allegedly here to help us. So uh, we do need to find ways to be more self-sustaining. So, all right. 
I gotta run. Um, y'all can finish up. All right, I gotta go. Bye. Yes. Bye. Thank you. All right, and I'm gonna mute the callers and pass it to Doctor Springler to close us out. All right, uh, and you know, William, next time if I when I'm on a, a rant and there's a caller calling, go ahead and cut me off. Just cut me off, all right? <laughs> let let him and let him come on through. Uh, I'm not offended. Because right. um, sometimes I don't I don't get the the I don't understand if somebody's there trying to call in with their insight. Um, yeah, you know, I think you know based on what Phoenix is also saying about looking tracing where the money goes with nonprofits, it's very important. And sometimes, you know, the term astroturf, um, just to throw a little term out before we go, um, astroturfing is a term used in activism that is, um, it's like fake grassroots movements, right? Grassroots are supposed to be from the ground up, the people up, not from a bunch of elites that decide and put money at a movement. A grassroots movement is the people who are affected by it rising up as the masses, right? So that's a big kind of goal in activism for leftist radical activism, right? But um, astroturfing is when basically big organizations have big funding that aren't ran and built by the masses. Um, they try to fake being grassroots, right? So you'll see that with a lot of organizations, and arguably that is partially what is happening inside the multitude of things going on in Black Lives Matter right now. You know, that's one example is there are some organizations that are astroturfing, meaning they'll put faces of people who mean to be the front of the movement and say, this is a grassroots movement. We are the leaders of the grassroots movement, blah, blah, blah. But nobody put them there. The masses didn't put them there. And you trace some of the organization's funding, and it's like, whoop. You know, it's just like we were, one of the callers were saying, whoop, it turns out it's all University of Chicago funding. It's a think tank that made this organization, right? So that's part of tracing the funding is, okay, so we think this is now a grassroots alternative. Well, okay, so it's better than the Red Cross. Okay. So what is this, but who funds that? Where does that money come from? And there, there, publicly these things have to be posted. It, you know, it trickles between hands, but there's a way to find out. So looking locally and seeing transparently, like who are the people who are really from and from a community doing this work is important. And, you know, it's tricky. It's tricky because, you know, not every community group then is even who we want to support if their politics might actually be very against, very not progressive anyway, just because they're locally, like a local church, for instance. So, you know, it, 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 there's no easy way out of this. But I think the best we can do is, at least for our parts, people who are also work, you know, people who are new to this or who just try to donate because they can't be involved in the organization, like we were saying, look into it, do your research, think about the stuff we've said and get and get you know, really up on these issues. But two, from our end, there are people who organize and stuff like that already with myself. You know, we really have to do the work of exposing these things. We have to do the work to get out in front of this and say we are not part of this system and this is something that's negative because if we can't shed light on this, we're, we're not going to find ways to dig ourselves out. There's not going to be any way out. So. Indeed. And that is Talk Fury with WineCellarMedia.com. Uh, Dr. Springler on there with uh, Fury, Feminist Uprising to Resist Inequality and Exploitation. Phoenix Kaleeder stopped in and hung out with us representing um, SWOP, Sex Workers Outreach Project. 
and me i'm just some dark-skinned nigga with broken glasses with electrical tape holding them together that made a podcast and i hope everybody wants to talk about some shit on it and thank you for tuning in and talking about some shit on it folks and if you like hearing motherfuckers talk about shit, you can get early access to the archived episodes at patreon.com slash wine cellar media fund. We do not have a tiered system. There is no if you sign up for five, you get this. But the people who can afford to sign up for 20 get that. Everybody helps in the way that they can and in the way that they think that the program is valuable to themselves and to anyone else that has access to it. All right, Father Muckers, please be as safe as possible wherever you are.